hard sometimes to do this. Good morning, JD. Good morning. <laughs> it's hard sometimes to do this because you just know there's no winning with some people. Like, I know some people listening to this just want blood, lust, violence, violence, <laughs> chop it down, burn it up, trade the team. Did Leafs talk last night, Borny and Sammy? Mm-hmm. I think I called it flat out unacceptable. It absolutely was. Yes. I woke up this morning. Still feel fine. <laughs> still feel like the Leafs are going to win this series. I do. I hate, I, like, it sounds so weird to say, say this, but I got to tell you, that was the most, tr- I, that was the most unbelievable Toronto Maple Leafs-y thing to do. If you were going to do a script of, hey, what, what's going to happen here in the most comical way mm-hmm. for all of the Stanley Cup playoffs? It would have centered around Leafs fans showing up into the building, losing their minds, yep. having a blast. Full of hope. And having that just dashed immediately <laughs> where the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the brakes off them, crushed their goaltender, have them essentially spinning, and yeah, Chase them from their building to the point where they're doing post games where everybody looks like they're searching for answers. Yeah. It was a bad night, okay? So it was a bad night. Mm-hmm. But I've slept on it a little bit, and as one does, I do feel like there are some reasons for still uh, like a lot of optimism, some reasons for a lot of pessimism. Of course, we'll go through those things today. I got Christopher Steed coming on in a couple of minutes. But I just want to say this. this is the, there are two parts to me that are clearly and un, unequivocally the worst. Everything else is just like non-comparable to it. Because there were some things that sucked about that game. I don't think that Keefe had his best moments again. Obviously, Michael Bunting taking the suspension. Uh, well, the pending suspension, the bad hit. Yeah. That, you think he'll be suspended? Oh, 100% he's getting suspended. Yeah. yeah I elbow, elbow to the mouth. Like. Yeah, I, I would stake my reputation on it. Um, what the, the massive reputation that I have. <laughs> <laughs> the, wow, what a reputation this guy has. There's two things. Number one is that Tampa Bay... You don't want to you don't want to overreact to game one, mm-hmm. but Tampa Bay has clearly planted the seed of doubt in the Toronto Maple Leafs minds. There's just no way that you can say otherwise. Yeah. The way that Toronto came out and looked during the first ten minutes of that hockey game were meaningful. Yeah, those those can, that result cannot be dismissed in the game. Toronto normalized for moments. They looked a lot better at times. Thought Matthews played very well, but ultimately. That seed of doubt has to be back in that Toronto dressing room after the way that game started of, are we fatally flawed? Do we have enough to do this? In the quiet moments, I would have to think that there are certain guys thinking about that or that are actively trying not to think about that, Mm. that are trying to tell themselves a story that hasn't actually been told yet, which is them having success against a team that has a ton of success. I was even listening to Ryan O'Reilly in the post game yesterday, and he spoke well. I actually like Ryan O'Reilly a lot. Um, he's sort of a calming presence. He he was good with it. Yeah. But he did mention about Tampa's pedigree, and and that's the thing where the unquantifiable becomes a real part of this. Tampa is potentially down two of its mo- three most important defensemen. Yes. They had an incredibly great game, but ultimately. I don't think that I saw something from a style of play standpoint where I went, okay, five on five. This isn't like the series looks exactly like I said it was going to be yesterday in terms of if they stay out of the box, they should be fine. 
and they can't grip the sticks too tight. And yesterday they gripped the sticks too tight. Oh, and also get decent goaltending, and they didn't get that either. Yeah. So it was a pretty disastrous game for Toronto, but ultimately that is there now. The, the pedigree angle, the mental fortitude angle, how Toronto is going to respond in the next game, and knowing that the next game is now a must, it's a must win. Yeah. They can't go down 0-2 and lose don't, so don't much. Go back to Tampa down 2 Absolutely not. They yeah. need to win that next game. And so what is going to happen in the next game if Toronto is down early? And I didn't have Austin get this audio, but the other thing is clearly Ilya Samsonov, who mm. was brutal in that hockey game. Yeah. I think that he he sort of evaded criticism early because the Leafs were on their heels. Zach Aston Reese has a really bad turnover, a pretty inexcusable, unexplainable turnover. Yeah. And also the coach takes some flack because he ends up doing some line matching with last change where he decides to get cute and put his fourth line on the ice that early into yeah. the hockey game. It's like early chess so, match it didn't work. Yeah, so Samsonov doesn't really take flack for the first one. But then you you notice that he's swimming in his net. Yeah. And then the second one goes in and you go, there's no, there's nothing calm back here. He had one brilliant save in the game, which was right as Toronto was trying to take the momentum. But for the most part, Guy let in two leaky goals right at the end of periods. Mm-hmm. He let in what might be the softest goal of his entire season, the backhander through his legs. Yeah. Right at the end of the second. And then after the game, when he's speaking to the media, he looked rattled. He looked really upset with himself, which is all right, but that's the thing that we killed Jack Campbell for in this market was a guy who was too down on himself and too on it. Like, sure, you want to take accountability, but there is a fine line with that stuff. Yeah. And then the most fascinating thing from the postgame yesterday, which was a pretty interesting postgame from Sheldon Keith, looked perturbed, clearly, um, was kind of a bit of a roller coaster ride from him. You could tell he was trying not to say too much. And the way that the reporter asks the question about Samsonov is it was a little odd because they ask, is it too early to tell who's the starter in game two or blah, something along yeah. those lines? And he goes, yeah, it's too early to tell whether or not Wall will get a shot in the net. And you go, are you kidding? You're not going to back your goaltender that was a top 10 guy in the NHL this year who just had a horrific game and people are worried about his mental fortitude in these moments that they flashed up a graphic where he's one in six in the postseason, you're going to not immediately say, this is our guy, we believe in him. You're going to say it's too soon. That was weird. That was very strange to me. And yeah. so, yeah, the two things coming out of this game are the psychology of the team, the mental fortitude of the Maple Leafs, and the way that they performed in the first 10 minutes especially, how they got back on their heels, and how shell-shocked they look, and how much of that translated to their goaltender, who has had that criticism... It's the reason why he didn't get big money. It's the reason why, as a first-round pick, a couple of years later, his organization was walking off of him when they could have signed him on the cheap. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of one and six in the playoffs. <laughs> they looked at it and said, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good here. And Toronto scooped him up. He had an incredible regular season, but now he has shown up immediately as the big question mark. And so, yeah, if you're a Leaf fan, that is the disastrous outcome here, is you looked rattled. Tampa looked like they were a team that had championship pedigree and all that stuff showed up and mattered in a big moment. And your goaltender was shaky while theirs was pretty solid. Whew, tough way to start. That said, I'm telling you, I'm still optimistic about the Leafs. The best of seven. I just, I, I don't see Samsonov playing that poorly. I did think Wool came in and didn't look afraid, which was nice. 
So if they do have to turn to him, which sounds crazy to say, I, I still don't think it's doomsday scenario for them, which I, if you would have told me that a month ago, hey, Joe Wall is going to potentially be playing playoff game for Lisa, I'd be like, okay, shut it down. And um, yeah. yeah. Guy who started as the I'll, fourth string. I'll be on vacation for a little while. <laughs> um, and if they would have lost in this fashion, it would be that way. But they're just our... No, not knowing what Tampa's blue line is going to look like moving forward, that mm-hmm. this was already a team that was a little run down, a little worn down. Uh, I, I think Toronto on a, on a whole, if you're the Leafs, it's not, it's, it's a bad loss, but it's not the worst outcome considering who they're going to have to throw back there now. Um, anyways, Christopher mm-hmm. Stieg, two time Stanley cup champion, inventor, creator of the clever app which you can download for free, apparently, right now. Free. Like, unbelievable in the App Store. Download the Clever AI, Clever.ai app in the App Store. Again, if you are um, trying to coach, you are trying to improve in that area, this, this app is an absolute must. It's actually massively taken off. Again, I really do think a, a guy who won two cups, this is what he's going to end up being famous for. What's up, Chris? What are we doing, buddy? Oh, thank you. That, that makes me feel well. Yeah, you know, well. Especially after a tough night. Yeah, it uh, wasn't great. And oof, yeah, I got to say, I went from rageful to defeated to weirdly optimistic this morning. I don't know. what. So I said the two biggest things were the way they looked in the 10 minutes and their goaltender. Do you agree? Well, th- th- there's a couple things. What, is, what was I texting you about a little bit before the game yesterday? You it wanted different depth. lines. I wanted different lines. I wanted guys with presence in their depth. They have no guys with presence in their depth. But if you look at their game, you know, they're like the the Tampa Bay coaching staff is playing chess while the Leafs are playing checkers. So what you're trying to do there is John Cooper learned from Joe Quenville. He learned line matching. He learned how to keep top guys off the ice at the start of game so your horses don't get into the game. Why do you think he continues to throw fourth line? on the ice, take face-offs, get your top line off the ice, get the Leafs' fourth line on. He's playing chess while the Leafs are playing checkers, and it ends up getting, obviously, they get scored against, but that's an issue for the Leafs' top guys if they're going to allow their coach to get out coached. This is every single year we've talked about the coach, and I'm not going to stop because that was the first thing I saw. Second thing, the stretch pass. Mm. Geo icing early on because his feet aren't moving no one has there's no options for him McCabe how many times was McCabe standing still no outlet wanting to stretch the puck I mean I remember in the first period when he was standing still and he like just gave like a four-footer to or to Riley and then all of a sudden it was just complete mayhem from there they were bombing so, it in each other's feet those first 10 yeah, minutes it was, like it was awful yeah. Yeah, but it's still kind of carried throughout the game. Yeah. You know, they, they want to make that stretch pass. That's great. Tampa has such great gap. Even that guy who's on that stretch guy, you know, he gaps up. All that stretch guy can do is chip it in, and then there is no one with speed coming from the Leafs to get that puck. Then to sustain ozone. Third thing, I don't know how many times I saw the Leafs have the puck in the corner in the ozone and not use their defense. They just want to turn back and cycle, cycle, cycle turn back, cycle, try to find a slot pass. They did not use the defense at all. So those are three things I looked at. But number one, starting with just the line combinations, you look at Tampa Bay, you have Corey Perry on the fourth line, plays 10 to 13 minutes a night. He has presence. I'm telling you right now, Jason Spezza could come out of the press box and have more presence offensively than anyone, anyone in their bottom six. You give me six months and a new hip, I'll come out with more presence. (laughs) 
than anyone. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, Their well, bottom six has no presence, no offensive presence. So you have these guys that work hard. Mm-hmm. You need other guys to elevate. You have William Nylander, who's on the second power play unit, and I, I like that. I like how they're spreading out the power play unit. But why don't you get him then, if it's either him or Marner, lower in the lineup to help elevate those other guys that have no presence? Think of all the cup winners over the last however many years. Third line had Phil Kessel on it, Pittsburgh. How are you going to go, if you beat Tampa, how are you going to go to Boston and line match Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall on the third line? How are you going to do that with, like, like Achari is not a third-line center. He is a fourth-line center winger. That's it. How are you going to line match these other better teams that are deeper on the third line if you just keep loading two up? Again, I like loading two up, especially if you're down and you're doing certain things to get in the game. Mm-hmm. But, it's, uh, again, I just keep looking at it. There's no presence in that depth role. Well, I, I think a lot of the stuff that you outlined there, though, is a really tough look for Sheldon Keefe. And that he's sort of the guy that goes under the radar in terms of who had a bad game, right? Because he had a horrible game. Yeah. Horrible game. Yeah. Horrible. Yes. So, yeah, because like I outlined it during the show, but the line combinations didn't end up working. Um, the team, he <laughs> kind of threw his goaltender a little bit under the bus in the post game. All of the stuff that you mentioned there about, yeah, their line matching didn't really work out for them. He had a really bad challenge in the game. It just you look at it and say, man, oh man, uh, how has this not improved year over year, especially considering you were up against this exact head coach last season? Exactly. And, and what did we say last year when Marner wasn't going or certain guys, I was like, put them on the third line or put them on the second line, make them work to get their minutes back. I don't care if they're the top guys, mm. you know, and I'm not saying they weren't going fully last night. I didn't mind Marner's game. I didn't mind Matthews at times. I thought Matthews was actually pretty damn good yesterday. Yeah. Like he looked very I, confident. I like, I like, I like them both, but it has to bleed throughout the lineup. You mm. need other guys to elevate their game. That being said with all this, I still feel good about the Leafs. So do I. I like I still feel good about them. But I, it just comes back to coaching. I think they have the guys. They need to be deployed correct at correct moments. And that's what it comes down to. We said it to, last year, said it two years ago. How many times have we gone on rants on the show about the coaching and certain situational stuff? You know, it, again, both teams, PKs are a complete mess. Um, but besides that, it's, uh, you know, I just look at how the, the guys are deployed and uh, the matchups they do, and I, I just don't like it. Okay, so they're going to get Nyes in the lineup, right? Because Bunting has that hit. It's pretty clear he's going to get suspended. I mean, if you disagree, you can let me know and you can weigh in on it. But to me, it, it looks pretty obvious that it's he's, he's going for a head. It's a completely dirty play. I think the only question is one game or two. Um, and to be honest, after looking at it multiple times, I, I kind of think it should be two, even though it is the playoffs. Uh, and those games obviously count for more. I, I just, it's not a good play. It's its no. so bad all around. And the timing of it, the player, who he targeted, the, the fact that the guy got hurt. Um, my guess is he'll get one, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's two. And I think that Leaf fans should brace themselves for that. So you, you have to change your lines immediately anyways. Um, yesterday during Leafs talk, I was saying that it's an easy one for me in terms of you're just throwing Yarncrock up with Marner and Matthews and you're, you're clearly sticking those guys together. They're keeping those guys together. But for you, is it that you're splitting the second lineup now then if you're changing deployment, like where do you put Matthew Nyes into the mix here? 
I think you got to put him on the third line. Okay. You know, I don't know if you put him with Nylander, you put him with Camp, or you take Tavares, you go to, uh, Nice, Tavares, uh, Nylander, and then you could have O'Reilly uh, with whoever you have on the wings mm-hmm. there. If Kerfoot goes up, you give him a little bit of offense. Again, it, I think Matthew Nyes, just the way he plays, a big, fast guy, can come up and down, create some offense. You're going to have to get him with good players. You're going to have to get him puck touches, especially early in the game. I, I don't trust that's what Keith will do. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's what he'll do. But that's that's where I would see him fitting. And then you could probably slot him in on a second power play unit if he's going yeah, good. Yeah, he'll definitely do that. His, yeah, he's, his game's being elevated throughout the game. So the, with the bunting hit, because, yeah, I think it, it's yeah. a weird one with the, the line combinations because I think Keefe is now stuck in a bit of a spot where he goes, all right, well, this was my theory in game one and it didn't work and I got killed, I got barbecued on it. But if I change way too much, then I look like I'm admitting to a huge mistake and that it seems like a panicky move. So it is going to be really curious to see what the lines are at practice and, yeah, what they what they end up doing moving forward. But, yeah, they're again, they're forced into a lot of this position with the bunting hit. How do you think the guys... Do you want me to talk about the bunting head? Well, yeah. Well, I I wanted to ask you, you can give me your thoughts on it, but also how do you think the guys in that room are responding to it? Because the game wasn't over at that point and he he just makes a really selfish play. And this is a guy who... I mentioned this also on Leafs Talk last night. The coach all year was trying to get him to play a headier game when the emotions got high. And, And you could just sort of tell... Tampa players were taking their liberties with him. You know, whenever he was around the net and going to his spots or at the game, they're giving the extra cross check. They're giving him the extra bump. He ends up drawing the penalty because they're going after him, going after him. But then it just seems like the the thing that Sheldon Keefe feared the most, which is like him letting his emotions get the best of him, popped up. And if you're those Leafs players and he's an important top six guy and it basically ended the game for you, I would just imagine that that's, how, that's a hard thing to compartmentalize and just get over immediately. He was a complete mess from start to when he left the game yesterday. A complete yeah. emotional roller coaster mess. And you can see it in, you know, when Chernak barely bumped him and he flopped prior to that. And then he's up and he's grabbing his head. And then, you know, earlier in the game, he's grabbing his head and he's, he gets pushed in front of the net. He was an emotional roller coaster the entire game. And something like that was going to happen. Now he's going to get a game. It was a, a complete stupid play. I also thought Jake McCabe hit was very bad too. We can debate uh, that all we want. We dis- we disagreed last night, but I mm-hmm. think that was a dirty hit. Let's not go there. Bunting hit, complete stupidity. And yes, you're right. Not a good play. For me though, you can't give up on him. Mm-hmm. You know, two years ago was it two or last year? I can't remember now. Clifford dumb hit. Last they gave year. up on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they gave up on him. You can't give up on bunting. This guy is an essential piece to your team. So whether you win one or two of the next games and he's out for one or two of the next games, you have to get bunting back in. You have to take this, you know, stance maybe Keith has of being pissed off at guys for doing dumb things and just casting them aside. You cannot do that. If you're going to win this series, you're going to need Michael bunting at some point. Again, you're going to need him to be a little more level-headed. I think, again, you look throughout the entire lineup, they were all a complete mess last night. Mm. You know, you look on PK. I saw in one PK, Brody and Hall were hitting a guy in the corner. Yeah. And then Brody had to chase back to the net, you know, and Brody's never doing that. So, like, the entire game, every single guy was a mess in their own way. Bunting was just an extra mess because his emotions were out of control. But you are going to need him to win this series and win the next series going forward. So I hope 
from the coaching standpoint, they let it go. They deal with what he has now and they bring him back and they get him ready because they will need him to win. They're going to need him throughout their lineup, whether he comes back and plays on a third line, you know, whether the lines do start to get shuffled and they go with a little more depth throughout their lineup, whatever they need to do, mm-hmm. he's going to be an integral part to it. They lose this next game though, or they miss him. And how, again, how do the players feel about this in that room? Got, how, yeah, how are they feeling about it? Put it aside. Yeah. Enough, you know what I mean? Put it aside. Okay. Um, for me, it's, do you want Michael Bunting in your lineup or you, mm-hmm. you're hoping a guy from the A comes up and fills a spot where a guy who you know can't, when he's on his game can do what he can do. Mm-hmm. Put, put emotions and feelings aside and think about what it takes to win and think about the guys you need. You need a guy in the room to go up to him and, and get in his face and tell him exactly what he needs to do. Maybe there isn't anyone in that room who's done it yet, but if there's a time, it's now. It's you go up to him as a teammate, respectively, and you tell him, Get your head out of your you-know-what. Plain and simple. We need you, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, that's what would happen on my Hawks teams. Mm-hmm. You know, when I would lose mine and I'd flip out, Kays would come right up to me and give it to me, you know? Whether Dave Boland, all these guys. I know I'm going back in, into the day, in the good old day, but... No, you won two cups. You're allowed to say about what it was like trying to win two cups. But that's what would happen. You know, you would do something stupid. Andrew Shaw did dumb things all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. And you would just go up to him and be like, dude, I would tell him, right, 2015, stop being an idiot, straight up. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, we need you, you know? Kays would tell him. We would tell each other these things. You would come at it as a friend, but you'd also tell him straight up. There's no black or white here. It's you're an idiot right now. We need you. Mm-hmm. There needs to be someone in the room that del- delivers the message to Bunting that's not a coach. You know, it matters more from a player to player. So I think that's going to have to happen, but you need him. You are going to need him, and I believe we need him back in the lineup, whether it's in two games, one game, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Get him feeling good about his game, but you, he's a, he was a, an emotional roller coaster from the first shift. You could see it all over his face. Yeah, this is the thing for me is you, he's clearly going to get back in the lineup, right? You're not going to sit a guy that has that many points in the last two years on your bench and play the likes of Zach Aston Reese over him. Like, it's just yeah, obvious. I don't know, though. I don't know. No, I, 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 I don't think so. Like, Clifford was already a bubble guy, so I know what you're saying, but... Clifford was a bubble guy who came in and delivered a hit from behind. He would have, he could have been in or out of the lineup regardless of what the result was there, right? And the Leafs ended up winning that game anyway. So to me, they're just, they're very, very different. One guy has been a top line player for the Leafs just about the entire season. One guy was already a quad A player who was there to, yeah, deliver a result that, yeah, it ended up going too far. I think the question with Bunting is, do you put him back up in that top line situation where he does need to eat that many minutes for you? Or now are you trying to limit his ice time a little bit more so that the emotions don't get away from him? Because that's something Keith has done in the past. Yeah, you can do that. You could mm-hmm. limit his limit his minutes and, and basically deploy him as you see fit. Yeah. You know, especially if Yarncroft goes up to the top line, he scores a goal at these these guys. It right? should have always I mean, been Yarncroft to me, to be honest. Like he has real chemistry with Matthews, and yeah, the guy just has a heavy shot knows what to do in that role, and, and it feels like he gets lost in the shuffle a little bit when he's not playing with top-end guys. He's defensively sound. Too. Sure. You know, he's, he's a very good uh, penalty killer. He does a lot of good things in his own zone, and he gets Matthews the puck in situations where maybe other guys don't because mm-hmm. of his defensive play. So, uh, yeah, you know, I like Yarncroft. You know, I even like Kerfoot when he plays up the lineup at times with guys. You know, he, he uses his speed. He's a very smart player. You can put him back down in the lineup, but he's playing with Noel Achari as a center. And there's nothing against Noel. Noel's a fourth line center. 
line. Any good team he's played on, he's played fourth line. You know, you could debate at times with, with the Panthers, but the Panthers didn't even get out of the first, or what is it? They, I don't think they got out of the first round, or second round, sorry, next year, last year. But I don't think he's a third-line center. He's a fourth-line center. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just think you, you got to put guys in situations where they're going to succeed, and I didn't see enough of that. Yeah, and I think that's a fair critique. So, you know what's interesting, though? You were talking about who goes up to bunting and who gets in his face. And it it already feels... Well, of course, not, neither of us is in that room, but it is it is a fun game to play of just trying to think about who should do that. And to me, this is still one of the things that's been harder about having Tavares be the captain. Just like watching him speak yesterday in the media, and I go, God, this is just not it. Where he's talking about we need to learn from this. It's like... Man, you guys have been getting bounced in the first round since 2017 when you had Mike, and I know he wasn't there that year, but Mike Babcock talking about start on time. What what else do you need to learn at this point? You played that team last year. Like, what 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 is the lesson that a mature group is supposed to be taking here? I see Ryan O'Reilly speak, and I go, this guy is the man. He obviously has... Uh, the winning pedigree, but he turned down the A the other day when they were short a couple of players because he didn't want it. And I do feel like he's probably trying to walk that line as a leader of, hey, empower the other guys, but be there if they need it. To me, it's, it's like... a new guy in the room. It's a new guy in the room. Yeah. And it is hard to come in mid-season and have your voice heard on a, you know, on a very good team. Yeah, a team so like I'm, that. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure he doesn't want to just come in the room and all of a sudden take over the room with his voice. He's a... He's a very smart guy. Mm-hmm. He understands the chemistry of a room, and the balance is very fragile. So I, I, I don't mind that because it is hard to come into a new situation. So I, and I've been in that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I've never been the player like Ryan. Mm-hmm. I've never had his pedigree. But at the end of the day, I've been in those situations where, it, you know, I am a vocal guy. I say things. Mm-hmm. It is hard to come into a room and be expected to do that. But I'm not telling him to do that. I, and and no, I don't expect him to do that. To do it. You no, you know who I want to do it? He should do it. Matthews. I think it has to be Matthews that says that stuff. Like, you're the best player on the team. You played a, a, a fine game yesterday. And I know he's cool and I know he's collected. But if this is his team, okay? Tavares might be the captain. That is... Put that aside. Like, we all know who John Tavares is. And we know that he can communicate that message, but it's not going to come off the same way. It's not going to resonate the same way unless one guy says it in the room and it's going to be Austin Matthews that delivers that message to Michael Bunting. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I would love to see it, or I'd love to hear about it because Mm -hmm. it needs to happen. Uh, I think that's got to be a step that maybe they end up taking off the ice. Like if he's going to come back and you're saying that message is important coming from a player, I don't think it can be a vet anymore like a Giordano. I just don't. I I think it's got to be the guy on the team, the alpha of the team, and that's still Matthews. It can't be the coach. Yeah, their their message wears thin with players. Yeah. You know, you hear it all year. Well, especially those two's relationship, Bunting and Keefe, like – they got into it publicly on the bench less than a month ago. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think that that's really going to work out too well for him. So, um, not actually, you know what, I'm gonna, before I get to Nice, is there anything bigger from this game than Tampa losing Hedman and Cernak? No. Yeah. No. That's a huge loss. Huge. And, again, their team was playing at, at such a good level, and they were confident all game that they could ride out those 4D but when they come into a new game and mm-hmm. Hedman's not there, you know, are these 4D, you know, Perbex and, and Radish, are these guys, I don't know who else even comes in in that lineup. I Bogosian really comes in. 
Oh, Bogosian. Okay, so he's yeah. a stable guy, and he he's been there and done that. But again, can these guys do what the Lightning defenders like those guys do? And it's it's exits. They get out of the zone so cleanly all the time. They stop the cycle. That's why I was watching the Leafs. I'm like, all they kept doing is turning back into these big defensemen, puck stick on puck, boom, puck back out of the zone. And they they just do it at such a good rate and good pace because their gaps really well too. So. You know, you lose guys that that size that skate so well. I think it's a huge, huge loss to the Lightning and to the series. But now it's on the Lightning to take it and say, you know, can our guys that are coming in the lineup, can these perfects and these guys execute these plays that Hedman do at that maybe not at the same mm-hmm. clip, but close? Because if they don't, and the and the you know and the Leafs start to figure it out, what to do, how to execute in the Ozone, they could be in some trouble. Yeah. Um... I I don't know how Hedman leaves that game at the time that he leaves it and that there's any reason to believe that he's going to be even close to 100% for the rest of the series, right? He kind of looks slow a little bit. Though. Well, and, You know, you, you look throughout the game. Is it a leg injury? Is mm-hmm. it a back? Is it something up on him growing? Yeah, you, you don't really know because you could see him going back for pucks, and he was actually relying a lot on the weak side rim. So when everyone was coming at him mm. on a forecheck, he would rim it. He rimmed it two or three times to the weak side. You know, that's a play that Tampa Bay does better than everyone. They relieve pressure, the valve play, better than any team. Even on the power play, you see Kucherov and Stamkos whip it around the boards how many times until they relieve pressure, whether it's five-on-five power play, whatever it may be. And even in the D zone, they use that weak side rim all the time. But I felt like he was using it almost as a, you know, he he just kept, he did it a few times where maybe he was being hindered and he he didn't have the ability, skating ability to dodge a check and, you know, make a little bump pass to the middle and then execute that way out of the zone. So I, I, again, you look back, I watched a bit of the first period over and you're watching him and he was using that weak side rim almost maybe as a play because he couldn't skate it out. Listen, if Tampa's D next game is Sergachev, Radish, Perbix. Cole, Hayden Fleury, Zach Bogosian, and Toronto loses that game, you got to fold the franchise. Like, yeah, that's it. it you're it, moving to Vaughn. Yeah, it's done. Um, you're, yeah, whatever. You're Hamilton's team now. I don't know even what you just, yeah, maybe you just it's close it up shop and you don't become anything. And yeah, you salt the earth and then you try something new because that, that, that blue line was already thin, and so for them to lose from that area, and especially those two guys, and yeah, Hedman, I mean, throwing Ternak in with him is fine, but yeah, it's Victor Hedman. He's been one of the most important players in the NHL from the last decade, so to lose him in this series with all of Toronto's weapons at forward, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, so you mentioned Marner, and I, I did want to talk to you about him specifically because, all right, this is a game where there's basically a period that you can throw away, right? You're getting two periods that actually matter, and it's 10 minutes off the top where it's completely shaky, rattled, nothing really to take too much from, I think. So it's a small, it's a very, very small sample, but you mentioned that you liked him, and, and I sort of, I, I thought that was interesting because you've obviously got a very, very different eye than I do, but he's a guy that you've honed in on in the past, and I've always carried this, and, and 
I, I watch him through that lens that you talked to me about once, which is playoff Marner, why he's not able to kind of hit that same gear as what he does in the regular season. And you've always mentioned like, that's where his size has mattered. That is where it gets harder and harder for him to get into some of the areas where he is most effective. And, and I did find early in the game, Tampa was very physical with him. They hit him pretty hard a couple of times. And yet he makes, you know, some nice plays on the power play and help pick up the first point or the first goal of the game on a really nice play. But for the most part, I, I didn't see the guy that has been the team's best player throughout last year's entire or this season's entire regular season. Yeah, he, he didn't take over. No, essentially what it is. He didn't have a presence about him. I didn't think last night like a Matthews did. Matthews, I thought, looked better with the puck overall. Uh, you know, he was skating well, battling. And Marner, too, again, like he had a couple of his power play points. And I think he had three assists. He did. Last he had night. three assists with two secondary assists, which kind of felt cheap. But yeah. Yeah. So, again, like that's why I didn't mind Marner. Um, mm-hmm. I Again, when it comes to his game, it's when is he going to take over and be that, you know, Patrick Kane. When's he going to come down five on five, stop up, hit a late guy, get the puck back, and just own the puck for an entire shift? Five on five, not just four on four. Watch Kucherov comes down the ice. He'll he'll run a guy even first shift. Get the puck, rim it around the boards to Stamkos. Puck will come back around. He'll have the puck set up a D-man one timer. The puck will just they'll he'll own the puck for an entire shift. You know, and, and he gets into situations. Kucherov will get to the net. He'll get behind the net. He'll, you know, he'll get to the slot. He gets to so many areas on the ice that makes him dangerous because he's willing to go there. And again, when you watch Mitch at times, we've talked about it, it's a little too much on the perimeter. And you need to go to the perimeter to get pucks in the NHL, a thousand percent, especially the best players. That's where all the plays come from. But again, what are you doing in order to get the puck in the playoffs more? Where are you going to get shots from more? What are you going to do consistently, shift in and shift out? So again, I didn't see him. That's why I said, I thought he was okay. I didn't see him take over. And it it was a bit of a weird game if you're looking at the first 10 minutes where everyone was crap and then, you know, your penalty kill and all these Mm -hmm. other things. I also didn't like that he was on the five on three. I thought it was a little strange. I know everyone talks about it. I would rather have David Camp laying down on a five on three blocking shots and certain other guys, nothing against them, than Mitch Marner. But um, he's just got to take over. Yeah. if, if they're going to win, he's got to do what Kucherov does. You know, when we used to play at the Blackhawks, we'd come in the room and then Joe Quenville would go to Patrick Kane. Who do you got to be better than? And, he, and we'd look across the room and if we're playing Calgary, Jerome McGinley, mm-hmm. you know, was that a fair comparison at the time? Nope. But was Patrick better than Jerome? Yes. In that series, we won. You know, they would look at me. Who do you got to be better than? I'd look across, you know, a guy relative to me, and I'd be like, I got to be better than that guy. You know, we play Vancouver. I got to be better than Mason Raymond. You know, mm-hmm. those are things when you're looking across. If you want your, if you want to win, these top players need to look across, and they need to be like, I need to be better than you. I need to be better than Braden Point if you're Austin Matthews. And that's, that's just what's going to have to happen. He's going to have to take over. Kucherov's had his game. He's going to have to have his game, Marner, and he's going to have to take over. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's it. It's just you're not. It's it's not good enough to just be okay if you're him in this series. No. Like you have to be great. And Kucherov yesterday was great. Like man, he just had the ultimate put it all together performance for him. Where yeah, hard on pucks, just playing with that little bit of nastiness, dangerous scoring, creating for others. It was just, yeah, the everything Kucherov game. Yeah, It was wild. Yeah, and again, like, 
like I talked about those valve plays where they just mm-hmm. rim it around the boards. They're they're masters at that. They enter the zone five on five, and you know, back when Tampa wasn't winning, they weren't winning because they couldn't get in the zone and and have sustained pressure. Mm-hmm. And Tampa does it better than anyone. They use a weak side rim to get a guy on the other out wall. They'll have that puck if they don't get it. They'll rim it back around so they change the pressure and then. Now the guys have all this ample amount of time to make plays, get the puck back to the point. And again, he does it better than anyone on the planet, maybe. But it, he was just a master of, you know, manipulating the game to to the way he wanted to see it yesterday. Um, uh, here's another thing, too. Why was Tampa able to gain the zone so easily throughout the entire game? Like, I thought that was pretty concerning for Toronto, that they were just having their way with that blue line. I, I thought it was so. Again, I thought are they a one-one-three in the neutral zone? And and I saw their winger go back to get pucks a lot of the time. For so like Zach Aston Reese was like the first guy back to get the puck. Usually that's a defender. Sometimes some teams play one-one-three and they trust their winger to go back. Some teams that have one-one-two-two, they trust their D-man more to get back. And again, that one-one-three is actually supposed to hold the blue line a little bit harder with pressure. So I just thought it was weird. I always didn't really, you know, I was looking at that as their neutral zone. But yeah. Tampa does come with uh, a lot of five-man attack. When we're talking about uh, Toronto, it was just the stretch pass, tip it, and go. Tampa, they have a stretch guy, and they also have that second guy coming back to the defender to get the puck with speed. And if they don't get it, then they hit that stretch pass. And by the time that guy tips it in, those other two guys are flying with speed to get in on the forecheck. So, you know, I just thought Tampa was a a more well-oiled machine yesterday. Mm -hmm. They just did everything a lot better. Like we talked about, first play of the game, Giordano standing still, no options, ices the puck. And that happened all night. And I just, you know, Tampa had more options. They had more guys willing to come back, which takes effort to do, to come get speed, fill lanes. And then they would have their stretch option as well. But uh, that's how they gained the zone. They just kept coming back, getting the puck, skating it in, and putting guys, you know, on their heels. Obviously, Samsonov was brutal. But do you like Keith giving the non-committal that he would start game two in the post game yesterday? So do you have any understanding of what's wrong with Murray? Like, is there a timeline? Well, no, but it's, buddy, Murray was awful for a long yeah, no, time. I'm not saying that's the, that's the answer. Yeah. Um, you know, Samsonov wasn't great. He let in some leaky goals. Awful ones. Yeah, the, the Kucherov goal hit the center. Then It was a bomb, mm-hmm. and that's kind of that desperate slapper at the end of, you know, where it's like, man, I'm going to hit this as hard as I can. If it goes in, it goes in. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And obviously it went in. You've you got to commit to your guy. Samsonov's your guy right now. If mm-hmm. at the start of the next game he starts off like that, take him out. But I think you got to go back to Samsonov, give him the give him the reins, let him run. And if he's not good early on, then you can change the wall and see if that changed the you know the energy of the team or the pace of the game. Yeah, I think that his leash in the next game should be shorter. Like, there's yeah, no doubt about that. I just couldn't believe that Keith took to the podium and said that it was too early to tell whether he was going to start or not. Yeah, there's a lot of things I question about, you know, what what Sheldon does for the confidence of the group. And that could be one of them. You know, if you already have a goaltender who's never had a proven playoff track record and you're trying to instill confidence in him, that may not be the best way to do it. I hope I hope it does light a fire under him and it gives Samsonov, you know, maybe a hey, if I if I'm not good and I'm not dialed in early, I'm out. So maybe there could be a little bit of a desperate play at Samsonov being good. 
if it works, it's great. But again, you're right. It, it, it sometimes that can hinder a player. And, uh, you know, I've never been a goaltender, but mm. their confidence is very fragile. Yeah, I just, that's the thing. If if it is, if that's Matt Murray and he's had an incredible season, right? And he had Samsonov's year, let's say. Guy's got two rings. He's done it before. And Keith says that. I'm not, a, I'm not overly concerned. But yeah, for a guy who's now one in seven in the postseason, who just got let go by his team, who people had that big question mark about, and who has a rookie behind him in net, not like some, like, it's not as though Matt Murray is behind him and the two of them were battling and he's got to work his ass off to keep a spot. The guy was your number one goaltender essentially the entire year. And to non-commit to him in there, I, I, I guess Keefe's going to have a better read of that than anybody. He'll know Samsonov, sure, a hell of a lot better than, you know, you and I ever will. But it did kind of feel like an emotional snap response rather than something that, like, I think if you gave him the truth serum, you say, hey, could, you want that one back? He'd go, yeah, I, I want that one back. Because pretty clearly, Samsonov is going to start game two. I don't think that wall is getting a net unless they're watching Samsonov walk around, yeah, the arena and just, like, holding his coffee cup and shaking it all over everybody. And, you know, it, like, what's the scenario where he's out of the net? So I thought that was a very, very strange one. Um, you and I disagreed. I hate ref talk. I really do. I really hate ref talk. I got a million messages about, you know, Macaulay's relationship to Sheldon Keefe. And, yes, I, I absolutely think it's weird um, that he ends up getting game one and that they do have that relationship between the two of them. But I, I, I will say I didn't think that the refs were the story of the game, as some people did. But I also really didn't like a couple of the calls, most specifically the slash that they gave to Camp on Corey Perry, especially given the momentum in the game and the way that it was going. You're a big call the rule book guy, but don't you think that has to be balanced to a certain degree with, hey, this is the playoffs. These are huge yeah. moments. Why are we inserting ourselves into the game this heavily? Well, if, if they would have called the hit to the head McCabe laid on, I can't even say the kid's name, that wouldn't have happened. And second part to that, uh, there's two bad calls I'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. Corey Perry was entering the zone ready to score, and Camp did the last second whack. Again, people always talk, why is scoring up in this new era? It's because that play is taken out of the game in 2018. People don't talk about that. That slash to the stick is the last second ditch effort, what we used to do in order to throw a player's shot off, in order to get the puck off the guy's stick to help your teammate get it. Those plays are no longer allowed. So it allows shooters to free up to shoot more from prime locations. So he's entering the zone in the O-zone. Camp does the last second whack on the stick. The puck comes off. That's a slash. Mm -hmm. 100%. No doubt in my mind. And then you talk about the one where Perry kind of does the desperate whack on Achari. Because they go, oh, look at Perry. He whacked Achari. Well, yeah, whatever. Call him both then. Doesn't matter. But that one, he's entering the ozone. Achari's 200 feet from his net mm-hmm. for, from scoring. So you got to call You got to call that call on David Camp, 100%. The ones I didn't like, I still don't quite get the goal, the Corey Perry goal. Really, oh, yeah. really strange. <laughs> it's like... I, that one, I was like, eh, you know, I even, you know, unless it's a weird camera angle that we're getting and it's an optical illusion, I still, you know, when the guys were talking on the desk, oh, it looks, I still don't think that was fully in. You it know? looked fully I, in to me, the one when they had it on the desk, right? On the desk, right? Yeah, the, right. that was the closest one we had to it. But I will say again, that's that's one where I go, all right, if you had to ask me, hey, logically speaking, is that in the net? I'm going, yeah, but... I get it in the era of review, right? Where you go, well, they called it on the ice 
And so it wasn't enough to overturn because there is also not a clear view of it not being not completely in the net. So I I got the call. I actually just thought it was a little bit more strange that on the ice they called it a goal. You know? I agree. That's kind of where I was at too. I was like, how do you call that a goal unless yeah. Wes saw it turn on its side for the second and saw white? So that's that to me was strange. And then the Shen cross check didn't like that one. So those were two calls where, you know, that was just a super soft call. But besides that, you know, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah. I, I didn't have a problem with the whack on the stick. You're calling it an offensive zone. Um, you know, there's a couple other ones that you can look at, but you know, I overall didn't mind the calls of the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair one. All right. Uh, last one. What advice would you give Matthew Nyes heading into the series? Because it was so funny. Uh, the whole, I remember Friedman talking about how they, they didn't want to have the pressure on Nyes and I'm paraphrasing him here, but there was a lot of discussion of, Hey, don't put the pressure on the kid that's coming from college to be the savior of Leafs nation. And all of a sudden Leafs are down. Oh, one going into a series against Tampa Bay and yeah, he's at home and he's coming in in a role where it feels as though he's at least going to have to play, I don't know, 10 to 12, pretty much minimum, maybe this more. Is a, you know what? So what? This is a moment. If you're a hockey player, you should be relishing. You yeah. know, I think back to being a young kid, part of the Hawks again, never had this pressure that Matthew Nice has, but we go into our first playoffs and, it was like a moment that you couldn't wait to be a part of good or bad. You just wanted to get into the ring and fight essentially. And for Matthew Nyes, that's it, you know, go there, have fun. You've been working your entire life for this situation. Imagine all the guys that will never be in your shoes. You know, mm-hmm. these, this, this is such a unique situation that you're going to be a part of. And if it turns out great, amazing. If it doesn't, there's still going to be people backing you up. You're a young kid. It's almost a win-win situation I see for him, unless he's just handing the Tampa Bay lightning goals. But this is a unique situation. Enjoy the moment. Go do your thing. Use your speed. Keep it simple early on. Keep it simple. Move the puck. Get it to the net get the puck back to the point, get to the net, whatever it is, do your thing. So again, this is a situation. I don't feel bad for him at all. I feel like, this well, I don't is feel bad for him. no, but you know, you, you listen to, you know, you listen to the guys on the desk. Don't put the pressure. Yeah. You know, whatever. This is an, an incredible moment for him. Mm-hmm. Get out there and do what you can do to help this team win. Not every player who plays the game will ever have this moment and go, go do it at, at the end of the day. I mean, you got to just tell them again, keep it simple though. Uh, don't try to do too much early on, especially mm-hmm. and, and do what you do best. Christopher Stieg again, two time Stanley cup champion um, guy who's wrong about officiating a lot of the time, but other than that, mostly a pretty good dude, mostly a pretty good guy, but yeah. Um, other than that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, again, the clever app right now, clever app, AI, you can go and download it for free in the app store. And so, yes, if you are affiliated with coaching in any way, I'm telling you any sport, any way, Go get this app. Trust me. And yeah, even DM Chris. I think you leave them open. So yeah, let them know that you're using the app because it is really, really great and it is really well reviewed. Chris, thanks for making the time, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you again. See you, buddy. Uh, All right. We got to go. Best bet next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. At least I won my bet yesterday on the Rangers. So my only consolation is I was sitting there and it was like three, nothing Rangers. And I had him with plus one twelve. gave out a plus money winner. And I sat there and went, okay, <laughs> it's all right. 
Jays were winning. My money was, money was going in the account. Wasn't that, it wasn't the worst. So it's time for Best Bets, brought to you by Botano Sportsbook, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. Absolutely unequivocally my favorite book. And again, if you have not played Botano yet and you're interested in checking it out, hit me up in the DMs at JD Bunkus anytime, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, okay, so yeah, Rangers plus 112 hits. I'm thinking about going back to the plus money well, and that is, I just think the Florida Panthers, this is too much hockey team for them. They threw their best punch at Boston in game one. Like they were <laughs> doing everything they could yeah. to hang around that hockey game. And guess what? The Bruins covered the spread. So tonight for me, even though the Panthers, it's like the, oh no, you can't drop both of these games. They will drop both of these games. And I just see Boston covering the, the puck line. Minus one and a half is once again, plus 112. Mm-hmm. Omens. Oh my goodness. It's the theme of the week. Here. It's the theme of the week. <laughs> Omens are good. So yeah, I yeah. like the Bruins. They minus suffocated one, them in game one. It yeah. Minus one and a half plus 112. I just, I don't think that the Panthers are nearly on the same level. Good team, Mm -hmm. solid team, but I'm just not, I'm just not a believer that what they can do is. Yeah. Boston without Bergeron still suffocated him too. Yeah. So Uh, do do we have an update on that? Because he's, they said it was an illness. I thought about that too. That was factoring into my decision that I thought, okay, there's no way that he's missing two straight games. If it is an illness, that's the other thing too, is they, they were saying that before the broadcast, there was something going around the room in Boston, that they were sick and they still went in there and beat the brakes off of them. So yeah, assuming that they've got a little bit more health and maybe they get Bergeron back, I think they're all going to be all right. By the way, Michael Bunting hearing today at 3 p.m. So stay tuned to the station. You'll hear real Kipper and Bourne break that down uh, later on in the day. Tons of hockey content, Jeff Merrick show. Yeah, stay tuned to the station all day long. Anyways, that was Best Bets brought to you by our friends at Patano Sportsbook. The game starts now. We'll see you tomorrow.